Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. My name is Mark Selby. I'm chair and CEO of Canada Nickel, and I'm very glad to have an opportunity to provide an update on the company to uh, Crux Investors. Uh, we are at a very pivotal point for the company. Uh, in just less than two years, uh, we've established one of the largest nickel sulfide resources ever. We're aggressively advancing the project. We put out our PEA at the end of May with over a billion dollar NPV. And unlike a lot of other companies where the PEA is sort of you know, a downhill place from here. We have a massive amount of upsides from here. And, you know, we, you know, we want to position this company at being the, at the forefront of what we believe is a third generation of nickel supply. For the first time in nickel's history, it's supply that doesn't come with either massive SO2 footprint or massive CO2 footprint. You know, those companies that have led each of those generations of supply have, have created billions of dollars uh, of shareholder value, you know, and we want these large, low-grade sulfide deposits, which have uh, waste rock and tailings that spontaneously absorb CO2, uh, you know, to be, be recognized as the new major source of nickel. And we will be doing that uh, over the next 12 to 24 months. And I think a great time for shareholders to get into the story. Mark, good to have you back. Haven't seen you since, uh, what was the end, end of May, I think it was, with regards to Canada Nickel Corp. Uh, one of the best performers of the companies that we followed last year and one of the best performers on the TSX, obviously. Big question I've got for you is, how do you move from where you are today? You went from 25 to 300, real easy, it seems. Real quick. But that problem doesn't go away. The growth story needs to continue. How are you going to do it? Yeah. So it fundamentally comes down to two key objectives. So one, you know, is in terms of the PEA, again, very happy with a $1.2 billion NPV for the project and mid-teens uh, IRR. Uh, but again, you know, because we're aggressively advancing this, you know, we still have a huge number of upsides uh, to bake into the feasibility study. So we're expecting, you know, a much better, better outcome than where the PEA landed. So it's things like uh, we have uh, we stopped the resource for the PEA uh, almost a year ago on hole 65. We've now drilled uh, we're hole 155, and you know we will have a resource base that's 50 to 100 percent larger to utilize to come up with the feasibility study. And, and so we expect you know that the the amount of tons that are going to be included in the feasibility study to be 50 to 100 percent higher. And it's not just big for big sake. You know, the big opportunity there is, you know, we, there's a lot more tons that are higher value and higher grade that we can pull earlier into the mine plan. And all that incremental value drops right to the bottom line. So, you know, that'll have a very, very significant impact on the NPV versus where it's at on the PEA. The second big thing is around the network. You know, again, most of the other projects that have been out there, you know, were discovered in the 60s and 70s and, and get work every nickel cycle. You know, this is a new nickel sulfide discovery. Uh, again, we have done just one year's worth of network by the time the PEA went out. And so, you know, again, we fundamentally believe that there's, you know, multiple percentage points uh, of improvement in nickel recovery, improvement in iron and chrome recovery. Uh, and uh, again, we'll be have a path to market that'll unlock the value from the cobalt and PGMs that are there. You know, every single percent of nickel recovery is literally nearly $100 million of additional NPV. So if we're if we can deliver two, three, four percentage points of nickel recovery, again a significant increase uh, in in the value uh, of, of of the project, uh, and then with the cobalt and PGMs, with our deals with First Nations to be able to have uh, utilize their access to capital, which would allow us lower cost capital uh, to build our, our nickel mine. Uh, again, 
you know, those will all add to significant value in the NPV. So path one, you know, you know, demonstrably move the needle in terms of what the value of the project is for the feasibility study. And we'll have a whole series of news flow on that uh, over the coming year. No, no so, okay, so, so let me so let me start. So I want to want to take all the same because yeah. a lot of moving parts is you're yeah. you're essentially saying the the the, the cutoff point where of where you deliver the PEA has you've, you've done double the amount of drilling, well, more than double the amount of drilling, um, and you've you've been doing more work on more targets as well. So you expect the feasibility yeah. study, which is delivered when? Yeah, it'll basically we're targeting a year, you know, a year, uh, a year from now. So right. uh, before we get to the third anniversary of the, uh, then we started drilling on the deposit. Now, you know, is what we're targeting to get the feasibility study to the market. Right, and you also and you you'll bring in the kind of cobalt and the PGM component to that too for the feasibility study, which has not been included thus far. Understood. Okay. What's number two? Yeah, and then the the other really really important thrust, uh, you know, for the company, uh, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this. Uh, again, is this next generation of nickel? Uh, you know, the the issue with nickel, and Elon Musk highlight, highlight highlighted this a year ago when he came up with his, you know, please make more environmentally sensitive nickel. You know, and it what it really underscored the fact that you know again we've had nickel has had this dirty nickel history, so we've had three two generations of supply to date. So the first generation was half a dozen large sulfide projects. You know, Sudbury was the prime example of that. You know, those, those were very large sulfide deposits and they provided, you know, basically uh, there's one in Australia, one in Russia, one in China, and those provided, you know, the bulk of the nickel, you know, that the market needed up until the early 2000s. And again, each one of those discoveries, there's multiple mines, you know, it wasn't one single project. And again, sort of this, these clusters of, of deposits is something that I'm, that I'm gonna come back to. The, the second generation of nickel supply was um, was NPI in Indonesia, you know, exemplified by Qingshan and the fact that, you know, it's gone from, you know, being a very small regional producer in 2000, stainless producer in 2005 to being the world's largest nickel producer, the world's largest stainless steel producer, you know, in the span of 15 years. And again, off the back of multiple laterite deposits uh, that are sitting in Indonesia. You know, the, the environmental problem with both those first two generations of nickel supply was, you know, Sudbury was famous, you know, they used they used Sudbury to, to train the astronauts because, you know, basically all the vegetation for, you know, miles and miles around Sudbury had been wiped out by the, you know, literally millions of tons of SO2, you know, that were dumped into the environment, uh, you know, over that mine lice operation. And there's some similar things at those different operations, you know, in different places around the world. Uh, laterites come around, you don't have any SO2 with it, but, but you know, in today's environment, something that's even more damaging is, is literally tens of millions of CO, of CO2 is getting generated um, to produce the nickel uh, from those deposits. Again, you've got, you know, a footprint of 80 to 90 tons of CO2 uh, per ton of nickel versus, you know, the two tons, you know, for us to get to nickel concentrate, we're at the first percentile of the cost curve. So what, what the market really does not appreciate today, you know, are, you know, I, I really think is, is, you know, we have a, a district scale opportunity. We fundamentally believe we're going to have a cluster of nickel deposits, that there are going to be multiple Crawfords, uh, you know, within this area. And, you know, Timmins for the next hundred years, you know, will be as important as say Sudbury or Western Australia was uh, to the, to the, to the, you know, the generations of nickel supply that it represents. And again, this will be the first source of new supply you know, doesn't have any massive airborne footprint. So uh, because the tailings and waste rock spontaneously absorb CO2, 
you know, we believe will have, uh, you know, basically zero carbon, nickel, cobalt, and iron. And, uh, you know, we'll be able to do it, you know, also with, you know, almost no SO2 emissions as well. So really a new source of supply, you know, for the next generation uh, of nickel. So new source of supply in a zero, zero carbon manner, which in today's environment is more appealing. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we're starting to answer the question of how do you how do you go from you know from three hundred to wherever you need to be. Um, the scale component. You raised twelve million bucks since we spoke um, back in July. Yep. Uh, we spoke in May. You, wrote, you raised that at the end of July uh, a few weeks ago. What are you doing with that to deliver the, the scale side of this story? Yeah. So the the key thing. So the first part is obviously you know that chunk of that is going to be you know continuing to build out the resource for the feasibility study. Uh, but the second piece is 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 this is this district scale potential. You know the the you know in terms of very simple geology. The reason you only find nickel in a few locations in the world as opposed to scattered in a bunch of locations with copper and zinc is you need to have a giant rip in the earth basically to allow material from the mantle to make it up to the surface. Uh, and again, to go, you know, to make a rip in the earth that deep, it doesn't tend to be a pinprick hole. It's a pretty large structure. So that's why, again, in Sudbury, you see multiple deposits. In Western Australia, you see multiple deposits. In Thompson, Manitoba, you see multiple deposits. In 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 uh, Jinchuan and Norilsk, you see multiple nickel deposits in that area. So, you know, we've identified a whole series of targets and, and we're, you know, we're working our way through. We've already announced discoveries at Nesbitt, Mahaffey, uh, and McDermott. Um, and we've got a, a number of other targets uh, that we're looking at, and there's some other things in the region that we're looking at. Um, um, and so we'll be using that drilling. We're not gonna, you know, again, we'll have, we've already talked about having, you know, 50 to 100% more resource just at Crawford, you know, and that you're looking, pushing towards 40 years mine life, you know, adding huge amounts of additional tons aren't really gonna add value at this point, but clearly demonstrating to the market that, you know, there is the potential for not just one more Crawford, but maybe, you know, four, five, six, seven Crawfords by the time we're done. Again, in those areas where you find low-grade ultramafics, you, you know, you do find higher-grade nickel deposits. And there's nothing to suggest, you know, that we may may find some higher-grade pods as we continue to drill this thing off. So, again, if people think, oh, you know, you're already at the PA stage, you've already gone up 10x, there's not much upside left here, you know, that's absolutely absolutely wrong you know if you look at the market cap of each of those leaders of each generation of nickel supply so inco and falconbridge uh you know in that first generation inco was a dow jones 30 company for most of its life you know that's the scale of value then getting created when you lock a brand new source of supply ching shan today again if it was a publicly traded company if you look at the read through on the nickel mines valuation that's there, you know, again, that would be a company that would be worth, you know, 40, 50 billion dollars or more. And that, you know, was done over a 15 year period. Um, you know, when you get a new source of nickel supply and you get it right, and you're the first person and first company to figure it out, you know, there's a massive amount of value runway that's there. And that's what we're really gonna spend the next 12 months uh, highlighting to the, to the market, okay. helping the market understand that. Great story, sounds great. But your your share your share price has dropped off since we last mm -hmm. saw you. It's worth a hundred million bucks less. Is there? But the nickel price continues to rise. Um, I'm not sure people get nickel. No, they don't. No, no. And again, right now, I you know most of the nickel development stories have traded off twenty five percent from their 
July short-term peaks, and, and you know we've we've traded down along with the group. If you go back, you know most of the the nickel developers are off fifty percent uh, from where they were in the February highs. You know we've done better; we're we're sitting off about thirty percent from there. Um, but again, if you go back to the early two thousand, you know each of the nickel booms that that's happened and these super cycles that I've talked about. Again, if you look in the early two thousands, it was not this linear run all the way up. You know, there was, you know, you had one leg higher in 2002 and then a sell off in December 03. And if you, you know, if you panicked and got out there, you just missed, you know, more than tripling your money, not only from the prior high, but, you know, five to six X from the bottom if you bought in December 03. Same thing happened again in, in early 2006. And, and that run over the next 12 months, you know, took nickel prices uh, from the $11,000 ton level where they'd fallen off to in, in at the end of. Uh, December and equity values have come off massively in, in May 2006 to the point where, you know, Inco got taken out 18 months later, you know, at more than double or triple the price, um, you know, that had, that it was trading at, at that point in time. So, and again, I think right this specific moment with this sell off in the nickel stocks where you see, you know, where in contrast, you see very, very strong nickel fundamentals, you know, yes, there is noise around the Delta variant and that's going to have an impact that's there, but EV demand is up over a hundred percent year over year. That pace of that's not going to slow. Joe Biden, you know, announced that all three big US auto companies are going to be selling 50% of, you know, their cars sales are going to be EVs by 2030. Most of the forecasts from a year ago had global EV sales at 30% of the market. So every forecast that you saw a year ago for nickel demand and EVs and 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 EV thing is is literally off, you know, by more than 50%. Um, you know, that's when you get one of these big shifts and you get past the tipping point, this, that, those are the kind of numbers that happen. And so again, next year's numbers in terms of demand, analysts were way behind the curve on demand growth this year. They're way behind the curve on demand growth next year. Uh, and, you know, the end of 2021, early 22 is always when I saw, again, this tipping point where EV demand got big enough to really drive the market. You know, it's, it's even way ahead of where my expectations are. And so, uh, again, I think 2022, 2023 are going to be very exciting times. And again, if you don't get into the market now, you'll be kicking yourself that you're, you know, you, you know, you'll be having to chase the market up, uh, you know, over the next 18 to 24 months. Are you going to tell me about? Are you going to tell me I should buy the dip? That was coming next. Well, th- well, there's there's times to buy a dip, and there's times where again, you know, th- th- that's the part with the with the com- you know uh, in, in mining stocks that if you have some understanding of the fundamental commodities. There's these great trading opportunities where equities are selling off for, for equity specific reasons um, and that have nothing to do with the underlying fundamentals of, of the commodity. And so, you know, if, if you can understand when those gaps open, both on the up and on the down, um, you know, those are the times where you can make really outsized trading gains. And, and I was, again, I'd say over the last six weeks, one of these value opportunities has really opened up in the space. Another thing happened in the market this week, which I, I just wonder what, what the implications are, which is BHP have offloaded their oil and gas uh, assets. What do you read into that? Is that good news for you guys or not? Oh, it's, ma- again, massively good news. And it's, you know, not BHP, I'll come back to it, is as important thing. You know, we've seen a huge amount of corporate activity in the nickel space. Again, I was not expecting to, that to happen until early 2022. You know, you had Sabanier Stillwater pick up Aramet's nickel refinery. You know, Sabanier went from zero to being one of the world's largest producers of PGMs in a very short span of time. So again, that's another new entrant in the battery metals market who's very aggressive and has already made the first step. Uh, BHP um, dropped $300 million from Norant 
about three weeks ago, outbidding uh, Andrew Forrest Fortescue Group, uh, who uh, again has they they picked up an option to earn into a, a property uh, that's owned by Orford Mining. Uh, they made a bid for Norant, um, and and BHP came in way over the top. They're paying four times more than the share price was uh, 12 months ago. Um, you know to be able to to put their foot on one of the few Canadian sulfide assets. You know the read through of that 300 million dollars on on the recoverable nickel that's contained at Norant is you know would be a billion dollar valuation for us today. But what's so exciting about this BHP announcement is it's a fundamental portfolio shift. Um, for that company and again you know there's there's asset level decisions and there's portfolio level decisions and again those happen you know once probably every five to ten years in the major co- major company and so you've seen the largest mining company in the world say we're getting out of oil and gas we're exiting sort of these you know the sort of past commodities and uh we're we're very clearly saying to the market we are going to be focused on these future facing metals that they've been talking about now for about a year copper potash and nickel they're dropping three billion additional three billion dollars to get the Janssen project in Canada uh, into production. And so, uh, again, if you look at their moves in nickel, you know that's only a fraction of that three billion dollars. So, if they really want to have three pillars of a business, um, they're going to have to spend a lot more money on a lot more nickel assets to be able to get that up to the scale uh, of the copper business. And Again, the read-through is if BHP is thinking this way, you know, the rest of the mining majors are thinking this way, you know, and then looking in the background, you've got the oil and gas guys who are realizing, geez, you know, we're in the buggy whip business today. Um, and if we're serious about being energy companies, you've seen Shell and BHP talk about that. But the reality is, you know, 95% of their business is still oil and gas. But that shift is happening. I talked to some McKinsey consultants a year ago, um, March, you know, who operate at those kind of corporate levels and and they made it very clear that you know for the first time you know those you know kind of serious level discussions that oil and gas company about okay if we're going to be an energy company you know how are we how are we going to play in the space and you know there are multiple of the size uh, of of bhp so uh, again you know the next 12 18 24 months i think is going to be a very 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 exciting time Uh, and again this ev transformation if you can position yourself in the right companies and the right metals at the right point in time in the market again i argue the sell-off you know creates a a pretty nice entry point um you know it's one of those times where you can really create outsized gains over the next uh the next few years those guys are going to want big assets multi-year multi-decade projects um and there aren't that many around at the moment. Certainly not 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 in production. Not available to them. I mean, what are, what are they going to be looking for? I mean, over and above what I've just said. No, I mean, again, you know, part of the reason we're focused on really highlighting that district scale potential is, uh, you know, a it's the right thing to do, and b, you know, we think that is going to be a very important criteria for what these guys want to look for. You know, they do want assets that have multi-decade, multi-expansion, multi-asset, you know, multi-minds within an area type type plays. And so, you know, if if we're able to clearly demonstrate that Timmins is a very unique uh, uh, asset um, and, you know, Timmins, you know, 
could have the potential to be the Sudbury for the next hundred years, you know, then then I think you know it create is going to create all kinds of value potential. And coming back to your question around, you know, we went from twenty five to three hundred. How you go from three hundred to three to four billion dollars, you know, and it, and it's being able to. to really clearly highlight that potential. I mean, Mark, we've, we've had a few questions sent in with regards to this stainless steel path that you're, you've taken. I mean, get, given and you know what you've highlighted us about the, the scale of the EV uh, demand coming down the line, is that still the right call? Yeah, yeah to be really clear, you know, the, the, the stainless steel path was the most technically feasible, highest value path to market that we could put in a PEA and, and have everybody sign off, including me, that I'm comfortable with the numbers and the value being presented in the PEA. By the time we get to feasibility, you know, we, we are not forgetting about the EV market, but uh, you know, what you'll see is uh, like about half the nickel going down an EV path and half the nickel uh, going into uh, the, the stainless steel path. Uh, and there's been a huge amount of news flow around the, the EV path to market, which kind of gives you some indications of, of where I think the market's going to be by the time we get to feasibility study. So uh, EcoPro announced, uh, well, Blackstone uh, announced a PEA on their joint venture plant with EcoPro, who's a bat- Korean battery precursor maker. And again, the idea there is you put nickel feed in as concentrate in the one end of the plant and you, you keep it in the plant until you make a battery precursor. And so again, the scale of what we have, Timmins being so close to the Southern Ontario and, and Northern uh, Northeastern US auto market is a very, very logical place. So that's, you know, that'll be, you know, one option, you know, that'll likely emerge. Uh, you know, the, the other uh, big option there, and I've talked about it in our nickel discussions is, you know, three or four years ago, you know, I talked about the fact that you're going to see the Chinese really start to build lots of capacity to process various nickel materials. And so, uh, you know, in the past, in the past few weeks, we've seen the pricing of nickel intermediates, um, in this, these cases more from, from, um, laterite projects then from um, from nickel sulfides, they've moved from say 75% of the nickel content paid three years ago uh, to, to into the low 90s percents for an intermediate product. And again, you know, we expect that trend to get reinforced and to get broader. So again, you know, companies will be willing to pay for nickel containing feed and really pay up for the nickel content that's there. So again, we, you know, I think a, a downstream integrated path makes a lot of sense, makes sense to the Ontario government, makes sense to the federal government who all have mined to auto plant strategies that they'd like to see happen. Um, but again, I think the market is is really catching up to you know where I believe the value would get to. And, and again, that'll make it much easier to drop in specific values in, in terms of what the market, market value of our products are. Okay. And I, I've got to ask, have you had yeah. any of those have you had conversations with any of those sorts of groups yet? Well, we we made we stated in our press release a few weeks ago that we are in discussions with strategic investors. So, you know, and again, the next chunk of capital, um, we stated very clearly is, you know, we need, we need, in addition to 12, we need some more money to get the feasibility study done. Um, but we want to have the cash to continue on with the permitting activities because that's that's going to be the key, uh, another key milestone. Um, but then, you know, have 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 the the capacity to really uh, you know, broaden out and and uh, uh, and and again highlight this you know potential which we've already between Nesbitt, McDermott, uh, Mahaffey you know indicated that you know there is there are, is some real interest there and again we'll have a whole series of news flow on that you know over the over the coming you know the coming uh, twelve months uh, which I think you know investors should pay a lot of attention to. Our biggest challenge is honestly is getting assay results. I'm sure you've heard that these from other companies, but 
you know, uh, we had nine day turnaround <laughs> when we started drilling this thing less than two years ago. Um, and now we're out to eight to 12 weeks uh, with, I think, more of the numbers coming closer to 12 weeks coming back um, rather than the eight weeks. So, you know, uh, I know some investors are frustrated at the pace of news flow. <laughs> I can tell you, I'm very frustrated with the pace pace of, of news flow as well. And that's why we released uh, some of the results without assays. You know, visually, we're giving some description of what the the, 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 the level of mineralization there. So, you know, hopefully, we, you know, uh, investors can read into, you know, what, what the kind of types of, of, of assays that might come back. Um, uh, so, um, and we'll continue to do that as we move forward and, and, and con- again, continue to unlock that, uh, that potential over the next year. Brilliant. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the update. Um, let us know how you get on, because obviously the feasibility study is a long way away. We'd love to see a bit more news from you and a bit more and see you a bit more regularly um, as you build up this, the scale of this uh, project. Appreciate your time today. Thanks. No, thanks you, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.